listeners, welcome to the 10x Growth Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Aarti Vijayaraghavan, a product leader, an avid reader, and a book lover. In this episode, we'll be discussing the book, The Art of Strategic Execution, with the author, Ms. Priyanka Shinde. Priyanka is a seasoned Silicon Valley tech leader with over 20 years of experience in engineering, product management, and program management. She's previously worked at tech giants like Meta, and startups like Cruise, where she's held highly technical teams launching cutting-edge products. Today, she's an executive leadership coach, enabling tech leaders to accelerate their ambitious goals. The book, Art of Strategic Execution, drives into intricate world of technical program management and shares insights and wisdom she's gained through her personal journey in from an introverted individual to a successful Silicon Valley TPM leader. From actionable strategies to inspiring stories, she explores intangible aspects, mindset, communication, influence, leadership, that set exceptional TPMs apart. Let's dive in and learn from her insights and expertise. Thank you, Priyanka, for taking the time to speak to us, and I'm sure it's going to be an ex- exciting con- uh, conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So let's start off, like, what was your main motivation to write the book? You know, how did this whole thought come about and how did you go about it? Um, yeah, I mean, I first started writing the book back in 2022. <laughs> so it's been a little bit over 18 months. Um, I I started and then I stopped in the middle. You know, every I'm sure every writer hits a writer's block at some point. Um, but the main underlying motivation for writing the book was to help people understand more clearly about what the TPM, which is technical program manager role is and is not, uh, and what it takes to truly succeed in this role. To unpack that a little bit more, uh, we need to look at it from two angles, the organizations that hire TPMs and then the TPMs themselves. Um, If you know, like the TPM role is not really well-defined. There is no industry standard. In fact, no two teams, even within the same organization, uh, think of the TPMs in the same way. Uh, Most people still have this like caricature image of the 80s project manager with a clipboard in their mind um, (laughs) when they think of TPM, which is just not true. Um, The TPM is uh, such a more evolved version of that project manager which came about to be due to the increasing complexity of the um, of the products and technologies that are now being built in this modern world. Um, so many teams don't uh, utilize TPMs correctly, which can lead to a lot of negative experiences or overlapping duties, role redundancy. Uh, TPMs don't just manage tasks or check things off a list. Uh, they need to be involved more deeply and widely on any program to be really effective. Um, On the other hand, I have also observed that TPMs themselves do not understand the nature of the role. Mm. It is a highly people-oriented role. It is a role where you do not have a lot of control over the outcomes, but you're still responsible for the outcomes. Uh, And all of this requires a lot of skills beyond just the understanding of the technology, which yes, you need the hard skills, the uh, the technical skills, and you need to know the program management methodologies, but it goes way beyond that. 
Um, and then from my own experience as the in introverted individual, I had to become comfortable with the demands of this role. And so I saw many folks who came into this role without really understanding the uh, what was required of them, which led to challenges on both sides. And so I wrote mm -hmm. this uh, book to provide clarity, clarity to all of the aspiring and current TPMs on the nuances of the role and even for the organizations on how best to work with TPMs. And, uh, you know, I think a couple of uh, things which I wanted to unpeel over there, right? So your journey, like, as you said, rightly, there is a organization's maturity on understanding the TPM role or defining it and uh, setting expectations for the person and also the finding the right individual and how the individual mindset is, uh, mindset is also coming into the role. So in, in the book, you actually like the way you reframe the question. It's not like, what is a TPM to who's a TPM? So like in your, uh, in your own words, who's, uh, who is a TPM? So, or how do you who, uh, define Priyanka, the TPM? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a, a little bit sort of like funny and I, like the idea of like, who is a TPM, right? If, if I were to go with that, like that particular notion actually came out of this lunch meeting that I was having with a group of women TPMs a few years ago mm -hmm. uh, when I was at Facebook, now Meta. Um, so we were just discussing, you know, we had gotten together, we were discussing our experiences, challenges, et cetera. And I don't remember um, the exact flow of conversation, uh, but this one TPM leader I, I really admire said something to the effect of, I don't like us being called glue. So you know how, you know, a lot of times mm -hmm. when they say, oh, what is a TPM or what does TPM do? These are very two common questions that you would hear all the time. Especially yeah. I was the first TPM in a lot of cases on, on a particular team. Uh, and I always used to create a deck called what do TPMs do? <laughs> so anyways, mm -hmm. the glue was a very common word. And so that particular statement that she said stuck with me. And then I would keep hearing these words, right? Like, oh, TPM is the bridge or TPM is the oil that keeps the engine running. Um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, whenever, you know, somebody would ask, what is a TPM? So one day in 2022, this is after I'd left my like corporate world, I came across this book called Glue, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, which was uh, related to program management, something to do with project leaders. And like that, it, that memory just came back to me. And I was like, okay, now I need to like, you know, say something about this. Because over the years that I also was doing a lot of work to help showcase the value of my team, because I had already been starting to lead uh, a TPM orgs and teams. Um, and so I was already trying to showcase their value. And I would always describe the TPMs in a different language. I was like, okay, now I need to start. Like, why do we keep comparing TPMs to all these ina inanimate objects? Like, why do we say glue and bridge and everything? We never call engineers or product managers. I mean, you're a product manager. Like we say visionaries or we say coders mm -hmm. or, you know, something else. We don't use words. And so, um, so that just kind of like stuck with me. And so that's where I came up with this thing is like, let's reframe the narrative. Let's go from like, what is a TPM to who is a TPM? Because we are all humans. So we say TPMs are force multipliers. We are thought leaders. So we are strategic partners. That's what I say, like TPMs are thought leaders. They are strategic partners. They are force multipliers. They are negotiators. They are communicators. They're problem solvers. Like, so that's what I would say to your question is those are the things that a TPM is or are. 
that's uh, you know i think that uh, thinking about how we, people are defining it and then coming with a better way to showcase all the things and why you need i think that also showcases to organizations if you really need to be effective at running large programs why you need tpms i think that helps them also think about it really mm-hmm. so another uh, you know the way i have seen uh, some of the tpms which i have worked at really being effective is in terms of risk management right so as you said they are uh, they also own the goal of the outcome of whatever program they are driving so and they their main thing is measured based on how how effective they are in order to drive towards the outcome and one of the things is being realistic about what is the risk involved in driving towards the outcome what are the blind spots and uh, you know how do you how have you seen it being done effectively or what is your take on risk management looking at the blind spots how do you go about that process of it so that you understand you are make sure, making sure your program is going in the right direction mm-hmm. um yeah totally i mean risk management is like one of the most important aspects of of this particular role i mean if you think about it if you can reduce the risk that's how programs become successful because that mm-hmm. basically means you reduce the chances of failure mm-hmm. and the whole reason you potentially have tpms in the mix is so that programs do not result in a failure so in fact the more senior tpm the better they have to be at risk management because they are more likely going to drive bigger programs more complex programs um it also determines like risk how a tpm does risk management i would say also determines the caliber of a tpm yeah. um and that is one of the things that i always measured a lot when i would interview tpms as well um so i would say with risk management there is a little bit of art and science both to it so if we talk science first um of course there are many different risk management frameworks i won't go into details of each one because they can be very industry or domain specific um but at the simplest level though maintaining a risk register with all the risk details uh and like the probability of the risk the impact of the risk so you can understand what is the level of the risk low medium high that is uh, that is the basic requirement and you need to uh, risk assessment is something you have to do throughout the program so you start during the planning phase uh, so for example every dependency you identify is a risk mm-hmm. every estimate for example you might get is technically has a potential risk built into it um, so you note all of these things down then when you get into execution say if you're running in an agile method uh, if you're meeting weekly or daily uh and you're discussing progress as soon as you see something starting to slip or something starting to fall behind that's a risk and you note it down every bug that you find in your testing is potentially a risk so um as you're categorizing all of these now you're knowing okay how do i address this in what sequence so basically what you're doing is you are collecting all the data and you're uh, you're using your historical context so your knowledge from the past projects or from how it has been done before and all of the present conversations about the project right so that's the science i would say of of the risk management the art of the risk management is then leaning into your instinct and intuition mm-hmm. so say for example if you're in a meeting with engineers and one of them is saying oh there's some issue but you know i got it don't worry about it 
you better yeah. be worried about it at that point because i mean yes you you know maybe yes the engineer is probably going to fix it because they said so but you that is probably the time you want to ask questions and this yeah. is where i want to encourage tpms like don't be satisfied with the first answer you get mm-hmm. if there is a something like you feel like there is something missing you want to ask a question but you feel like should i this is a very senior engineer should i ask them a question you have to ask it and that's where you have to trust your gut uh, that's where you have to be able to speak up um so this is also where you want to be able to listen at what i call level 2 and level 3 which means you're listening for the words that are not being said uh, you're listening mm-hmm. to the tone of the voice you're observing the body language things like that in order to assess what is really going on um so those are observations that kind of are more uh, around like the the art and the, the, this comes with practice as well yeah. so the more you do it the more you will get adept at it um so for example if you work with an engineer long enough and they say oh this is a 3 week estimate now do you like is this 3 week really a 3 week is it more or is it less mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that's the kind of a thing that will allow you to get better at risk management um and then there's just other things on being able to have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people in order to just connect the dots so that you have a good big picture of it because the more you know of what's going on around uh the easier it is for you to know things that might be happening or coming down the pipeline that might add to the risk that so might get affected yeah 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 so it's good to have a lot of conversations with people around you uh and that just then starts going into this whole thing about building relationships and so forth <laughs> yeah i think i really like the way you framed it both the art and the science aspect of it i think the framework and the science aspect of it it comes and as you build bigger and bigger programs it's the it's the more nuance or more uh, uh, what do you say more thing which will come with experience and with different types of projects is the art part of it and also for different types of risk right like as you said you pointed out to engineering risk and stuff i've had in situations where i've been working with external partners or you know business development or operations in those cases uh, the body language or the way they assess a risk is different so you know how you double click on it and actually get to understand what is the real risk there is is very critical yeah exactly yeah. i also like this framework of the whole like known risks unknown risks so known mm-hmm. knowns unknown unknowns i think that is also a great way to sort of classify it because then at least you know that i had i know things or i don't know things yeah uh, so exactly. that's also a good framework yeah yeah nice so and you know i think this touched upon in the way you explained your P, uh, tpm role itself right so as you explain like influence without authority so that's that is the key skill of a tpm so what are your thoughts on program sponsors uh, like typically in leadership uh, leadership and companies they have program sponsors a person who is a directly responsible individual or something for the program how do you work with them and how have you leveraged those sponsors then this might be useful for up and coming tpms as well and experienced tpms yeah um yeah uh, i probably might have a little bit of a longer answer to this so first thing is like in the book i actually say and i reframe this to uh, influence with authority and it's uh-huh. a little bit 
tongue in cheek because um, I believe that nobody's going to hand you authority. Uh, and the fact is that uh, the fact that you are in charge of leading a program uh, by default means you have authority. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I do feel like TPMs, especially I think when you're not as experienced or when you're when, when you're new, uh, you can tend to hide behind this. I do not have an authority. And I just want to challenge that, which is the reason I say this here. Um, but when it comes to program sponsors, uh, we can think of them in three ways, right? So first, like when we just think of program sponsors in, in that terminology itself, I feel that particular term is more common in traditional companies um, where a program actually has a sponsor. But I think if we can think of it in more like tech companies or modern where it's a bottoms up culture, uh, you're right. Like when you said directly responsible individual or a DRI might be somebody. So it might be like a director or a VP or some senior mm -hmm. leader might be the person. But generally the program is tied to your organizational goals. And ideally there is like a trio, which is an engineering lead, a product lead and a TPM lead who's responsible for leading the program with that senior leader as the DRI. And so um, in this case, like you want to leverage that leader. So uh, one example that comes to mind on a program that I have, uh, I was leading was um, what I did was I created this, uh, I was, I will say like, air quotes here which is I created a hotline um, mm -hmm. with the product director and the eng director who are our org leaders uh, uh, basically what it was was a three-way chat uh, thread between the two of them and me so the three-way uh, where I just kept them informed on everything that was going on on the program it was a very highly visible program very deadline driven mm -hmm. um, a very important program for the particular organization but also for the company and so I would tell them of any potential risks that were happening, any issues that was I was observing, not just with the project itself, but maybe with any personnel or anything like that. And uh, so one thing I want to mention here is like escalation is not a bad thing. Like if you yeah. if you see issues, you want to keep your leaders in the know of it. Even if what you want to tell them is you are in control, but you, I want you to know. And what that does is it just establishes trust. And that's what this did exactly. So if you think of them as the sponsors of or the DRIs of this program, just because I had a lot of communication, open communication with them, it just established this trust. And it also gave them the information which then they had when they went into conversations with other leaders on what was happening. So then they were also well-informed. Uh, and so eventually I think it helped me because one, it, it gave me credibility and it eventually you know, helped with my promotion case uh, and that at that time. So I would say, yeah, you want to make sure that you always have, you're almost over-communicating with your, uh, with your DRI, with your program sponsors. Um, yeah. But uh, since you also mentioned the uh, point about like personal growth as well, a couple of things I want to uh, talk about sponsors uh, is also like second, like when you think of sponsors, you also think of sponsors for the TPM function itself. Hmm. So in any company or you need sponsorship for the TPM function at the leadership level. Now, with this whole current tech environment, if you have heard like the TPM teams, unfortunately, are being like decimated currently because there isn't a lot of support at the leadership level. And there are many reasons for it where, you know, there may not be a lot of understanding of what is the value, how the TPM should be leveraged and all of that. Not everything we can go into today. So when 
if a function or leadership doesn't understand how best the TPMs can add value, then there isn't that sponsorship. And so when the going gets tough, it's hard to hard to you know yeah. make a case for it. So you need for long-term survival, you need that sponsorship. And hopefully, I mean, I, I like hopefully we get to a point where nobody has to ask what, I mean, who is a TPM, right? Yeah. <laughs> Until that point. Um, and finally, for, from a personal perspective, you do need a sponsor for yourself now as part of your personal board of directors. So sponsors are different than mentors uh, or even your manager. Yep. So they, these are just influential people who are your voice in places that you cannot be. These are people who know your work. They can vouch for you uh, when you cannot do so. Um, and it's important to find a uh, find a sponsor for your sponsor. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I do have a chapter in the book on mentors, coaches and sponsors as well and why you need each one of them and how to find one and how to leverage them. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for rephrasing that thing. So influence with authority. So I th it goes to even coming from a product background. It goes even for that. Like you are taking the direction of your product. So uh, showcasing that authority and showcasing the conviction about the program or the product in yourself is very critical mm -hmm. to to gain the confidence of the rest of the team as well right so I think that that way is good and maybe I intentionally phrased it like that so that you can correct yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean there's yeah. a lot of the similarities in terms of that like product also has to work with engineering on that similar basis right you you have to yes. with with without authority however you might phrase it yes yeah yeah and uh, uh, you you touched upon this uh, lightly, actually. Advocacy is very important for this role, both for your program and also, you know, to get resources, to get actually the clout in the organizations. One more place where I've seen advocacy critically is like not all programs uh, in the beginning are starting off with a TPM, right? Maybe a lot of leaders might not understand how the TPM is going to transform their program or make them uh, get get to their outcomes in a much more optimized way or force multiplied way. So, as you have grown as a you know program organization leader, how have you advocated for the TPM role itself for different programs? And like, what are some of the things which you which you kind of keep an eye out on for to advocate saying, hey, TPMs, if you actually get these kind of individuals here, it's going to really help you with your outcome. Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, every TPM leader, like if you lead a team uh, or an organization, you have to be as a TPM leader, you have to be in the same forums as your engineering and product counterparts. Mm -hmm. So whether these are discussions, uh, I mean, generally, these are discussions regarding upcoming programs or products that are being uh, going to come up, right? So these can be your annual or quarterly planning discussions. These can be your product review discussions. So because this is the place where you're going to know which, which projects are happening, mm -hmm. uh, what is going to be built. And that's when you know if, uh, if there is something that's coming down the pipeline that might need a TPM. So a TPM leader, that's where you get your full view of everything that's going to happen. And so you can assess whether which of these programs, what is the scope, what is the high level uh, complexity or you know uh, the size of the program and which ones might be the right ones to assign a TPM. 
for example, I uh, always thought of like, not every program needs a TPM. Not, of course, not every team needs a TPM. Mm -hmm. uh, I generally thought of like, there are certain principles or characteristics that a program has. Uh, I, I used to call it sometimes like the allocation principles. Uh, so basically a program needs to be highly cross-functional. It mm -hmm. needs to be complex or it needs to be like a multi-year roadmap. Sometimes it can be like a super aggressive timeline you know, so that it needs to meet a certain criteria in order for a TPM to be useful on that program. Okay. Um, yeah. I have, you know, when I was an individual contributor TPM, I have been on a on a team, a single team, seven, eight engineers, maybe working with another team. I'm the TPM. I felt like, why am I here? I don't need to be here. <laughs> um, so, you know, because like if there's one or two team of engineers, they can figure it out. You don't need to be there as a TPM. So if you are a TPM and you find yourself in that kind of a spot, that is where you can easily be replaced. Mm, um, yeah. And sense. so as the TPM leader, also you do not want to be allocating TPMs to teams just to do their sprint management. So when I started leading organizations, one of the things I would assess is how are the TPMs being allocated? Are they, are they just running um, scrum ceremonies? Mm. Are they working across teams or are they just working within a, within teams? Within a team. Uh, yeah. So I think that was one of the things. And so I think a couple of the other things that's important, especially if you have a central TPM organization is um, it's important to have your TPM leads embedded with the engineering orgs and partnering with the engineering leaders, because that way they have a little bit more uh, closer view of what's going on in that organization. Because especially okay. if you're in a big PMO central org, that is where it might happen where, you know, you might not know what programs are going to come within a particular end org. And then you might be just asked, oh, can you assign me a TPM? After okay. Right. But if you have somebody a little bit closer to the end org, then you will know of it a little bit earlier. Uh, and secondly, the same TPM leads, you want them to build strong partnerships, even with like where applicable, where product teams are also there so that uh, you want the TPMs to be involved in the product uh, planning requirements discussion as well, so that the TPMs understand why we are building something, what is being built, you know, so that that is the same information they can also pass on to the engineers if needed, yes. or they can pass it on to somebody else so that you don't want to throw the requirements over the wall to the TPM either, because when the TPM understands clearly, they're also more likely to work more effectively as well. So I think all of these things help with the uh, having the right people on the right programs, which eventually leads to a better value add uh, for yeah. for the entire organization. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, how do you think about, you know, in some organizations I've seen, right? Uh, I think you gave an example the PMO or say the engineering or doesn't think that they they need a TPM and then they start kick off the program and then there's a crisis and they're like, okay, we need someone to help us uh, get through the crisis and also force multiply so that we can actually get to the outcome. How do you think about crisis management and you know what is your take on being asked to go clean up something or uh, trying to actually help out the team tied over the crisis? Um, I mean, ideally, you don't want to do it. 
like yeah. prevention is always better than cure kind of a thing right um so it's i mean ideally if you are in those conversations early on if you have built those relationships with your engineering counterparts product counterparts then you probably know something's coming down so you can probably recommend that this is a program you need a tpm mm-hmm. uh, and you can start looking like if you need to make hiring decisions early enough you can do that now say that doesn't materialize or you didn't know if there is something like that sure you can go in and do the crisis prevention thing or management thing but at that point you want to set the right expectations that this is a one off thing mm. that this should not be the norm and that is where you start to do a little bit more education that yes we can do this but firefighting is not always the thing that helps because yeah. it's literally just that what you want to do is prevent the fires from happening so which means that we get the tpms into the mix first or whatever it is like we basically plan ahead of these things so that we don't get into the situation because firefighting is always more costly than preventing at any times Um, and it will all definitely I think as a leader you 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 put it very rightly also it is it is actually burning your team as well your PMO organization as well as much as their their organization your counterparts in engineering and product as well so yeah yeah and you know what happens and and there is a unfortunately a side effect of this that I have seen which (laughs) there are certain TPMs who get great at firefighting Mm -hmm. and what also happens is you get a lot of kudos because you come in as a crisis uh, preventer you kind of have avenger like you, you prevent the world yes. <laughs> you know from going into chaos and you get a lot of you know kudos for that and that kind of becomes this thing where then you feel like that is what you're supposed to do all the time yeah so a lot of you know then that's what you you get used to doing but that's and that's the skill set you develop and so it becomes hard sometimes for certain dpms to become fire preventers where you want to develop certain best practices also in order to make sure things always go smoothly rather than <laughs> prevent fires. So yeah, all skills yeah. are necessary. I mean, it's okay. It's good to also build firefighting skills. But um, yeah. so that's that's the way of like having a good, well-rounded uh, skill set is important. Yeah, I think uh, the way when you, when you uh, I, I really like the way you phrased it. Some TPMs thrive in that and then they always want to be the knight in shining armor or or the guy with the cape who is going to actually manage the stuff. Yeah, I think long term, I don't think that is that's more that's not going to be effective for your organization, for the overall company and as well different teams as well. So it makes sense. Yeah. Um I know, I know, I want to touch upon a personal journey as well, right? You You've obviously grown in both large and small organizations, startups and stuff like that, running large programs. So, uh, and right now you have your own coaching, uh, this thing. So how did you, what led you to coaching and, you know, what is your philosophy on coaching and, uh, you know, executive coaching and leadership? Um, Yeah, I mean, my own journey. So, like I said, you know, I was always like, when I was growing up, I was, a shy introverted individual <laughs> and uh, then I came here and, and I, I used to be an engineer so I used to th- sit there do my coding uh, but then I saw this role of being a TPM and I thought this was an interesting role uh, of course I didn't fully understand what it all required I also saw a lot of people 
um, give a lot of respect to the role. I used to be on the East Coast at that time, a very different culture from, uh, from Silicon Valley. Uh, so that's what kind of attracted me to it. Um, so anyways, as, as I kind of went into the role, learned it, moved to the Bay Area, learned a whole new different culture. Um, one of the things that I enjoyed through this time, even though I'm an introverted individual, was um, one, I'm very much kind of intrigued by this whole juxtaposition of people and technology. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's a, it's a very kind of like one, like the way technology has been growing and then the way people intersect with that. Uh, to me, it's a very interesting uh, thing. Um, but then just having been through my own journey, I also found it, as I grew teams and I was leading organizations, I found that I, I enjoyed helping other people overcome the challenges that they were going through. And especially the challenges that I had been through as well at some point. I was like, why should I, why should they go through those same uh, challenges if I can help them, you know, kind of skip a step. Like if, if they're playing a game, if I can help them skip and jump to the next level faster than I had to. Mm -hmm. um, I also know that like I didn't necessarily know how to, how to ask for help. I didn't necessarily have... Uh, that amount of support or I, I I guess I didn't even know how to ask for support and so when I was helping other people I also got a lot of um, personal satisfaction out of it I found it very rewarding so when I decided in 2022 that I wanted to one figure out what the next phase of my career looked like this was like coaching and working with people was something that called out to me um because I, I felt like that would be something that one, I could just leverage a lot of the years of experience that I had working with people in the technology space. Uh, and then I could bring all of that experience in along with working with people. Um, the other thing I found also, I think just coming from my cultural background, right? I think sometimes we all get bound by our cultural upbringing. And unfortunately, I mean, there is so much greatness in our culture, but it also sometimes hinders us mm -hmm especially I think somewhat in the U United States workplace culture itself. So I think it's just important to adapt. It doesn't mean you're giving up anything. It's just important to adapt to the culture yeah. for your own success, for what you think you want or where you want to be. And so that was what I wanted to do. And so, so in terms of my coaching philosophy, I think it's more about one, to understand what your strengths are, to lean into those strengths, of course, to address your blind spots, but that's not the only thing. Yes, you will have those, you will have your growth areas, but it's also important to recognize your strengths. And strengths are not just what you're good at, it's also what you enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I will tell you frankly, uh, again, for the first 10 years of my career, I didn't know that coaching was a thing, that you need a coach. Because a lot of us, we think of coaching as something that only directors or VPs like executives need mm -hmm. yeah. or they yeah. get but that's not true everybody from even college graduates have coaches nowadays for different yeah. things sports people of course have coaches um, so everybody can have coaches for different things it just depends on what you're trying to get out of where do you feel like you want to go from you know x to y level and again you don't have to be stuck at somewhere to go somewhere to have a coach you can go from level 10 to 20 that's okay too you can go from 100 to 200 so um, that's what I would say around coaching is that it is basically to maximize your potential 
because there is a lot that you don't see about yourself that others can bring out in you. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, one thing which you said resonated to me, right? Like, uh, personally, I also have similar journey and a background. And uh, I thought of uh, coaching as well as to someone at a particular level you need. But one thing I've learned is, uh, I'm seeing also in the organizations as we are building is that as new people come in, they want a sounding board, they want a person to help them visualize things. Mm -hmm. So and, uh, you know, depending on the kind of uh, safety net they have, it is sometimes preferable to have a coach outside so that they are able to help you change your perspective or the way you look at things. For me, that was something which I've always, uh, always seen the most value from a coach because they are, they are looking at it different uh, in a, in a, uh, in a little bit of a separate way from where mm -hmm. you are there and they can help you look at a vantage point which you might not be able to understand right so that that particular aspect I really enjoy about uh, coaching actually yeah you bring up a really good point I think that's totally correct like one thing yeah I mean if like the same thing your manager even an internal company mentor or somebody can never give it even a lot of people have internal coaches which is still a good thing like it's better mm -hmm. than not yeah. having a coach but yeah, the the neutral viewpoint nobody can give you as as a coach because a coach is working for you or with you essentially. Nobody else is doing that. Like yeah, the coach is just the only focus is you. Yeah. Whereas everybody else around you, they have other things in their focus as well. Yeah. and so that's that's a very important difference. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Priyanka. So I think that has been an amazing discussion, uh, both from actually breaking down TPMs, your own journey, and also your coaching journey. Uh, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, enjoyed all the discussions and the anecdotes. And uh, to our listeners, if you want to really understand how to go about this whole function and also get valuable pro tips, uh, get insights or nudges of wisdom, I think this book is a really good one. And uh, really appreciate your knowledge and insights. And uh, do check out the book, The Art of Strategic Execution, available in all the top bookstores. In our show notes as well, I'll share the book link. Thank you so much, Priyanka. Any parting words or insights for our listeners today? Um, well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I will just say, you know, I know um, this is a tough job market today, uh, in the tech market. And I would just say this, like if you're job seeking, know that this is a phase. I mean, I've been through two other uh, economic <laughs> tech recessions. So just, you know, keep keep going, uh, work at it, invest in yourself. If you're a job seeker, I'm sure there is parts. I mean, there is a part in this book around the whole TPM interviewing. But even like there are aspects in this book that are tied to just elevating your craft, which I'm sure will help you craft stronger stories. If you're just, you know, even if you're not seeking a job, just, you know, look into continuously just honing your work, you know, uh, honing your craft, and that will always help you, whether it's thinking whether management is the thing for you, whether you continue to like elevate your risk management, uh, thinking about what success really means to you. Um, but irrespective of the book, I would say, you know, make sure that, um, you always invest in your uh, in yourself at every level in your career, uh, not just in the good times, but especially during the bad times, because the only guarantee that you have is you and your skill set. So I would just say uh, you are the most important 
person in your life. And so treat your career and yourself as a program. Uh, and so you you have to manage your own career just like a program. Thank you. Thanks. That was very valuable and uh, great advice for, for investing in yourself. I think that is the mantra with all of us have to take. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, thank you. Thank you, listeners. Until next time, this is your host, Aarti Vijay Raghavan, signing off from 10X Growth Strategies Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.